your Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Making our way through the book of Ephesians. Like the book of Daniel, we've almost finished. Come to the end of the book of Ephesians. There's a few more weeks yet, but we are getting there. We're, going to, uh, we're down to verse 14 in our study. That's where we're going to pick it up today. Which says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet show the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you are able to, to quench the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's look for in prayer. Gracious Father, we do thank you for how great thou art. We thank you, Father God, that we have a God who, uh, while seen in the heavens, is interested in us as individuals. We thank you, Father God, that you promised that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there are you in the midst. We pray that, Father God, today we would indeed uh, dwell in your presence, that, Lord, we would know your presence with us, that, Lord, you would take your word and you would apply it to our hearts and lives. We pray that, Lord, you'd encourage us through its truth. You would exalt your holy name by your word. Lord God, this morning we too think of uh, Gladys while we are in prayer. We think of her as she at this time is uh, on the verge of passing from this life to the next. We thank you that she knows you as her Savior. We thank you, Father God, that she'll have a, a welcome home when she passes from this life. Lord God, as she passes through the valley of death, we know that, Lord, thou art with her. And we do thank you, Father God, that the promise is there that surely goodness and mercy shall dwell, uh, shall be with her, she'll dwell in your house forever. And we do pray that, Lord, you have your hand upon uh, Wendy at this time. We do pray for Rob and his salvation. May he realize he needs a savior, Father God. And we just pray that you bless Amy and Daniel and uh, Scott at this time too and have your hand upon them. We do thank you, Father God, that we can uh, pray to you at times like this. We do pray that, Lord, you bless now. As we look into your word, that you would exalt your holy name. Give me wisdom, I pray, from on high to speak your word in truth. May you receive all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. When you and I think of the imagery that Paul uses here in Ephesians chapter 6 to describe the Christian warfare, it would be proper for you and I to call the Christian life something along the lines of hand-to-hand -hand combat. Because the, life, the Christian life is no genteel engagement. It's no exercise course. Christianity is warfare. And because of this, it's necessary for the Christian soldier to wear the armor, adequate to resist the spiritual and sometimes even the physical onslaughts of Satan. You know, whether we like it or not, Satan intends to destroy us. He is set upon destroying us and destroying our souls. It's his desire to disrupt and destroy the work of God. And so whether we like it or not, you and I must fight against him. And we will be able to do so successfully only if you and I avail ourselves of the armor that God has provided for us. Paul mentions here in verses uh, 13 to 17, he mentions for us six Hearts of armor, a belt, a breastplate, shoes, a shield, a helmet, and a sword. And today we're going to start looking 
at the equipment the Lord has given us to fight the holy war. We're not going to get through all six pieces, obviously. We probably will only get through two pieces today. I was thinking maybe three, but I just looked at the clock. So we'll see how we go. But we'll work our way over the next few weeks through these items of armor that arise. Each aspect of this symbolic armor answers a specific dynamic within the Christian life and enables you and I to stand against the spiritual attack. Now, the background with this is that Paul's sitting in a Roman prison. He's chained to Roman guards all day long, taking shifts of 12 hours. That guard would come and be chained up to, with Paul, and they would sit there for 12 hours. Then they would change the guard. And so, you know, I, I'm sure that Paul loved the idea that he had a captive audience for sharing the gospel. I don't know sure who was chained to who in this situation. The guard felt that Paul was chained, but I think Paul probably felt that God had put him there for a very specific purpose. That was to reach the gospel, preach the gospel of each of these guards. But he's in prison. And these prison guards are around him. These Roman soldiers are all around him. It's not surprising, therefore, that he looked to the Roman soldier's armor uh, as a means of illustration for the armor that you and I have spiritually. It was easy for him to look at the equipment of the guards and see how the equipment kind of was a, a, an object lesson of uh, some part of our spiritual relationship to God. And so he gives us these six parts of armor, which really speak of six uh, parts of spiritual life. I want you to note with me, first of all, therefore, the girdle of truth in verse uh, 13 and 14. It says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Here is the girdle of truth. Now, strictly speaking, the Roman soldier's girdle, or the Roman soldier's belt, was more a part of his dress than it was his armor. Okay, uh, this was not designed for any particular protection of him on the battlefield. It was made of leather. And it was used to gather his garments together, as well as hold his sword and his breastplate in place. So, uh, he would, so when he was going to battle, he would take his uh, tunic and he would tuck it in his belt, and then he would put uh, his, belt, his uh, sword on, and he would also clip down his breastplate to this belt he was wearing. Uh, it was part of his war equipment. It gave him the feeling of, uh, of inner fortitude and strength uh, for the fight. The said he wore a short tunic, and over the short tunic, he would wear this belt, this leather belt, or this girdle. And it simply served as a place to fasten the sword and the breastplate so they wouldn't fall off him when he went into battle. So strictly speaking, it was not part of the armor but it was an important part of the armor because before he could put the armor on, he had to make sure that the belt was on. He had to make sure the undergarments were gathered in place. He had to make sure he had somewhere to hang his sword. He had to make somewhere he could anchor his breastplate. So while it was not part of the armor, it was a vital part of his armor. Without it, the rest of the armor fell apart. And so it was vital to him. And when a man sat down and was relaxed, he took off the belt. And putting on the belt prepared him for action. It freed him in his movements. It put him uh, in a battle frame of mind, if you like. A similar idea is communicated back in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, uh, 
by the Lord in Luke chapter 12 and verse 35, please. Luke 12, 35. The Lord says this, he says in verse 35, let your loins be girded about and your light burning. He's talking about you and I to, uh, to go forth and, and be witnesses for him. And he says we are, your, your loins are to be girded about. The idea is of picking up the, the hem of your garment and tucking it in. Remember when the Lord uh, washed his soul's feet? He did the same thing. He tucked the hem of the garment into his belt. Okay, well the same was here for the Roman soldier. He would take his tunic, he would tuck it in his belt so it didn't encumber him in his, in his battle and then he would uh, put on the rest of the armor. And here we're told that we are to put on the girdle of truth. And so that which holds everything else together for you and I as believers with regard to our spiritual walk is this girdle of truth, the truth of God. The truth of God here is the first and foremost the doctrine of God. And then it's an attitude of truthfulness or sincerity of heart. Ephesians 4 and verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So there is truth, the doctrine of truth, and out of that grows the practice of truth, truthfulness. It's, it is significant that Paul puts this first. This suggests to you and I that the spiritual warfare that you and I are engaged in begins with you and I fixing Christianity's great doctrines of the faith in our hearts. That you and I know what we believe, that you and I have a confidence first and foremost about our salvation, but then you and I also have a confidence about what we believe. Or to put it another way, it's dangerous to rush into battle without having the great doctrine of the faith fixed firmly in our understanding. In Christianity, truth comes first, followed by actions. You know, Christianity is not, is not a religion, not a faith of action first and doctrine later. It's a, it's a matter of doctrine first, and out of that grows actions. Isn't that what we find in, in all the New Testament books? What you have is a, you have a doctrinal section to start the book, and then you have a practical section at the end of the book. The doctrinal comes first, the practical comes second. Because out of the doctrinal section grows the practical walk. You and I are to walk godly, and that's what he does here in Ephesians. Remember the first three chapters were practical, uh, were doctrinal. And then in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of a vocation wherewith you're called. Here is the result of all this doctrine I've just taught you in three chapters. You're to walk worthy. Doctrine first, action follows. What we believe has an impact upon how we live. And without the truth, how will you and I ever know what we are in Christ? How will you and I ever know what we are being called to do as believers? Without truth, we do not really know what kind of activity we should engage in. And we will be vulnerable to Satan's onslaughts, the wiles of the devil. If you and I are unsure in our faith, if you and I are unsure in what we believe, if you and I are unsure in uh, 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 what God's Word teaches, then you and I will be flaky when it comes to serving God. And you and I will be vulnerable to the attacks of the devil. 
Remember John 8.44, the devil is a liar from the beginning. We can't trust anything that the devil sells to us, but if you and I don't know the truth, how will we know when he's telling the truth and when he's lying? I mean, the very first attack in the Garden of Eden was upon the word of God, wasn't it? He says, yea, hath God said. And Eve started to doubt what God had said, and she partook of the fruit. And that's how the devil attacks today. He still wants you and I to answer the question, yea, hath God said. And the problem with many believers is the believers don't know what God hath said. And because we don't know what God hath said, because we don't know what God has taught us, we don't know the word of God, many believers then find themselves doing things that are inappropriate, unacceptable, or contrary to the very doctrine of the word of God because they don't know God's truth. And when the devil came and said, yea, hath God said, they said, no, I don't think he has. So unless we know the truth, how can we practice truth? And how can we wield the sword of the Spirit unless we know truth? We need to walk walk in truth and honesty. If there is no truth, then you and I will struggle to have a testimony. If we have no testimony, then Satan can defeat us. See, the belt of truth, the girdle of truth puts puts on biblical beliefs of the Christian as a whole. It's what the other passages of Scripture call the faith. You see, when you, everything, everything else about this Christian armor hangs upon the faith, hangs upon the doctrine, hangs upon what we believe. When you and I understand the truth of God's Word, we understand the doctrine of truth, the rest of the armor then has somewhere to anchor, particularly the breastplate and the sword. They have somewhere to anchor themselves because you and I have the girdle of truth in place. You know, there are some people today who believe that the church will never go forward until it takes off the belt of truth. But that's completely wrong. You know, people say doctrine doesn't matter. Don't give me doctrine. All doctrine does is divide. But you know, truth and doctrine of faith are the foundation upon which we stand. The doctrine of the faith are vital. They're not... They're not, uh, you know, uh, something that you and I can take or leave. They're not optional. The doctrines of the faith are vital, and you can't just abandon them. The church can't just take off truth, take off the belt of truth, and moment it's done that, freezes up, and, you know, and then we'll have freedom to reach the world. It's amazing how people will flock because truth is gone. But, you know, the Bible tells us in, Timothy tells us the church is to be the pillar and the ground of the truth. The church is to be the foundation and the beacon of truth. If people want to know what truth is, they ought to be able to find in the doors of the church. Today, people go to church and they don't hear truth. What they hear is the Christian's view, uh, uh, version of worldliness, the Christian's version of worldly music, the Christian's version of worldly practice, the Christian's view of worldly philosophy, the Christian's view of worldly everything. But what they ought to be doing is believers and unsaved alike ought to be able to walk through the doors of the church and that's the place where they find truth. Truth is the girdle which holds everything else together. It's foundational. It's fundamental. It's not optional. 
some of a tendency to think that activity is the important thing and the convictions or truth don't matter or at the very least they're secondary importance. But the truth is that truth produces action. What we believe determines how we live. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So the Bible tells us that you and I are to be, not going to be conformed to this world, but we'll be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Truth is important. The doctrines of faith form the foundation upon which everything else hangs, just like the Roman soldier's girdle. The question we need to ask ourselves is, do we know the great truths of Christianity? Do we study the Bible to apprehend them more deeply? Well, we should. There was a preacher in Scotland who tried to serve his congregation by teaching some of the illiterate members of, to read. One was an older Scotsman to whom he had given a number of lessons, helping him through easy portions of the Bible. Circumstances called the pastor away, but after a few months, he came back and again went to visit the home of this man. He was not there, but his wife was. And the preacher asked how he was doing with reading his Bible. And he asked this question, is he getting through the Bible? The wife answered, oh no, he got out of the Bible and into the newspaper long ago. And some Christians are in precisely that position, aren't they? They've gotten out of the Bible, if indeed they're ever in it, and they're into the newspapers, video games, or whatever popular thing takes their fancy, but reading God's Word is something that Christians don't do. And that should not be true. You know, they know more about sports stars than about the Gospels. They know more about football scores than they know of the Sermon on the Mount. That's a sad indictment upon Christianity if we don't know the truth of God's Word. Now, don't get me wrong. We're free to learn all we can about everything else. You know, we're not supposed to be ignorant people. We are supposed to know about things. Is sports your thing? There's nothing wrong with knowing sports scores and knowing about your sports team. There's nothing wrong if video games are your thing and you can talk all about them. There's nothing wrong with those things. But if those things substitute the Word of God, then there's a problem. Because we'll never be able to stand for the faith by putting on the girdle of video games. We can't stand for the faith by putting on the girdle of the sports team that we support. You can't stand for the faith, but unless we put on the girdle of truth, we'll never stand for truth, beloved. We need to put on the belt of truth, learn the truth, and live the truth. Because it's the truth that will make us strong in the battle. Secondly, we see the breastplate of righteousness in verse 14. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate uh, in, a, in a Roman soldier was one of two things. It was either metal plates or it was chain metal. And it covered the body neck to waist. It went down. Uh, under the belt, where it was anchored on the belt and went up to the neck. It was to protect them. It was made of two parts, front and back, and was designed to protect the vital organs, the heart, the liver, the kidneys, and so on. 
Now, righteousness here is represented as the breastplate which provides the essential protection for the most vital organs. Okay, that's the imagery here. This breastplate of righteousness is protecting our spiritual organs, so to speak. This is protecting us from the, from the onslaught of the devil. This is protecting us from those fiery darts that are coming our way. And you and I can no sooner battle against those spiritual enemies in our own righteousness than a soldier can effectively fight without his breastplate. If you and I are going to win this war, if you and I are going to fight the good fight, then we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, in the Word of God, there are two kinds of righteousness. There's the imputed righteousness of Christ and this practical righteousness. You and I receive the imputed righteousness of Christ, that's salvation. When you and I place our faith and just, uh, trust in Jesus Christ, you and I have imputed to us the righteousness of Christ, and you and I stand before God in His righteousness. When God looks at you and I, He looks at us through Jesus Christ, and what he sees is you and I righteous in him, in Christ. We stand in the imputed righteousness of Christ as Adam's sin was imputed to us when he sinned in the garden. So the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us when you and I are saved, the imputed righteousness of Christ. But then there's also practical righteousness. That's which grows out of that relationship that we have with the Lord. And it's because we've been made righteous that you and I can live Righteously. Go back with me to Zechariah, please. Zechariah. And chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him, and under him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I'll clothe thee with a change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by, and the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, and thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Here's the principle of this twofold uh, righteousness. Here is the image, the story of, of Joshua the priest representing the nation of Israel, standing before Almighty God in filthy garments, and Satan's accusing him saying he has no right to stand in the presence of God when one comes and gives him a change of raiment. And basically, uh, we have here the imagery of being justified by faith. He's declared righteous. He receives the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ uh, to himself so he can stand before a holy God. And he cannot be any more accused by the devil because he stands righteous before the Lord. And so the angel of the Lord says in verse 6, he protested unto Joshua, saying, Here's what you're to do, Joshua. 
Because you have been declared righteous, you should now live righteously. If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt keep my course, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Imputed righteousness and practical righteousness. He was declared righteous by God and encouraged to live righteously because he'd been declared righteous. Now, in the context of Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is urging those who are already Christians, those who have already been declared righteous, to put on the armor of God. You and I have already been clothed with God's righteousness. That happened the moment you and I got saved. When you and I trust Jesus Christ as Savior, His righteousness was imputed to us. We're clothed with God's righteousness. The, therefore, the only thing that you and I can put on is practical righteousness. We can't put on imputed righteousness in the context of Ephesians chapter 6 because this is saved people, this is born again believers. So what we're to put on, we're to put on practical righteousness, which is expressed in righteous thoughts and righteous deeds. I read this week that although Satan could find no sin in Christ in which to take hold, he can latch onto plenty in us. What Paul is saying here is that that should not be the case in our lives. We should not give Satan handles to grasp easily on our lives. Now, he can never condemn us eternally ever again. We are standing in the imputed rights of Christ. You and I are eternally secure. There's nothing you can do to stop you and I arriving at heaven's door. He cannot stop you and I arriving in eternity safely in the presence of Almighty God, standing in the rights of Jesus Christ. He cannot prevent you and I from being with him for eternity because we stand in the imputed righteousness of Christ. But he has plenty of time, fans, plenty of things we can grab hold of with regard to our practical holiness and demonstrate that we're not living godly lives. You see, you and I ought to live righteously so that Satan and everybody else can see that we are God's true children, that we're faithful servants. It's been well said that the life that we live either fortifies us against Satan or makes us easy targets. You and I are to be standing, living daily in the righteousness which we have in Christ Jesus. You and I have been declared righteous, now and you are and I are to, to live righteously. You and I have been declared holy, you and I are now to live holy as he is holy. You and I are to day by day to demonstrate Christ in us, the hope of glory. And the life that you and I live either fortifies us against Satan or makes us easy targets. Go back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Commence to read in verse 1. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee, and 
in a time accepted. And in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no offense to anything, that the ministry be not, blast, be not blamed. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes and imprisonments, in tumults and labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love and fame, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceiver and yet true, as known and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as pure yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. He tells us here that you and I in verse 3, he says, giving no offense to anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, and so on. You and I are to live lives so that the ministry, so that the name of God be not blamed. People should not be able to point the finger at you and I. Satan should not be able to accuse you and I because of the way we live is ungodly. People ought to look at us and see Christ as the hope of glory. You see, if Satan can find just cause to accuse us, he will. And in so doing, he'll seek to destroy our testimony. That's why we're told in 1 Thessalonians 5.22 that we're to abstain from all the appearance of evil. Not just abstain from evil, but all the appearance of evil. You and I are supposed to be righteous, but we're also supposed to live righteously. We're to put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is anchored in the girdle of truth. The doctrines of truth, the doctrines of faith, the doctrines of the Word of God help you and I how to, uh, to live righteously while they're connected. The breastplate is anchored to the girdle of truth. If you and I don't have our girdle of truth on, then we can't live our lives righteously. We won't have the breastplate of righteousness on. We're vulnerable to the attacks of the devil. But if we have on the girdle of truth, if we're knowing God's word, studying God's word, seeking to live God's word, we know the truth of God's word, then you and I will be able to put on the breastplate of righteousness and you'll be able to, and I will be able to stand in the righteousness as in Christ Jesus and bring glory to God day by day by the lives we live and the devil will not be able to land a punch upon us because we're living righteously to the glory of God. We've been declared righteous and now we're to live righteously. When Satan accuses the Christian, it's the imputed righteousness of Christ that assures us of our salvation. We can't lose that. So when we're under attack, you and I can know with, a, with confidence that we're saved. We can't lose our salvation. But our positional righteousness in Christ, with our practical righteousness in our daily lives, only gives Satan opportunity to attack us. Positionally, we're justified. But day by day, you and I are to be sanctified. 
We read in Sunday school this morning that verse in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, that you and I are to be changed from glory to glory into the image of Christ. That you and I, what we were at salvation, when we were, you and I were declared righteous and justified, what we were at salvation and what we will be at glorification, when you and I will receive our glorified bodies and what we are spiritually will become also physically, what we were at salvation, what we will be at glorification, we are to be during sanctification. The Lord wants you and I to daily be holy as He is holy. He wants you and I to put on the breastplate of righteousness. He wants you and I to live by practical righteousness day by day in His strength and in His power so that we don't give the devil opportunity to attack us and therefore affect our effectiveness to the Lord. We need, with the Lord's help, to put on the breastplate of righteousness to allow Christ to be seen in us daily as we live for him, devote our lives to holy living. Oh, time gets away from you, doesn't it? Just quickly. <laughs> Just quickly. goes on to say in verse 15, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, the most awkward phrase in this list of Christian armor is the one about the feet. For one thing, it doesn't mention the specific armor that it's talking about. It says, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, we assume that Paul means the boots or the traveling sandals that the Roman soldiers were wearing. These had hobnails in them for better footing. Because, you know, a disaster would happen if you slipped in the midst of battle because your footing went from underneath you because your shoes were not very effective. And so the word shod here in verse 15, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the word shod means having underbound the feet, as having bound on the shoes or the sandals, whatever was worn by the ancient soldier. On the shoes, Josephus described them as shoes thickly studded with sharp nails so as to ensure a good grip. The military success, both of Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar, were due in large measure to the armies being well shod and thus able to undertake long marches at incredible speed over rough terrain. The shoes were vital to the Roman soldiers' success. And no one can fight effectively or effectively go about their business without good equipment on your feet. So we're here, we're told, that we're to have on our spiritual shoes. However powerful the rest of our body is, or how strong the armor is that we're wearing, if we're wounded on our feet, it's easy for the enemy to defeat us. You're standing there with your breastplate on, your helmet on, you've got your girdle on, you've got your sword on, but your shoes, are, your feet are absolutely in agony because your shoes are inappropriate for the circumstance, it's a tough gig to be fighting a battle with your shoes not helping you. And so Paul links shoes to the gospel of peace. He calls the gospel of peace, to, he says that we're to have our feet shod with the gospel of peace. So our shoes are the gospel of peace, that's what he's saying here. And the idea is that, you know, the shoes carry a person from place to place. 
And it was to, uh, and it is we go from place to place that we are to be ready to speak about the Lord. We're to march forth with the gospel of peace. Now, it's interesting the phraseology here. He says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So it's with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And it's interesting playing words because while you and I associate the gospel of peace with the shoes, he's actually saying the shoes prepare you for the gospel of peace. The shoes are prepared so that you are ready to deliver the gospel of peace. The word preparation here is the word meaning a prepared foundation to make ready or readiness fitness for. The idea, according to A.T. Robinson, the great Greek scholar, is that they were to be ever ready to go forth with the gospel of peace. In other words, you were always, as a believer, you were to always have the right footing on so that we're ever ready to go forth with the gospel of peace. Shoes speak, therefore, of being ready, prepared for action, ready to serve, ready to share the gospel. We are prepared to give an answer to every man that asks of us, the reason the hope is in us, with meekness and fear, as 1 Peter 3.15 tells us. If we're unsure, so here's where it all fits together, okay? If we're unsure about what we believe, the girdle of truth, and if you and I, therefore, because we're unsure of what we believe, can't live righteously, then however we be able to go forth with the gospel of peace and reach people with the gospel for Jesus Christ. If we're unsure about what we believe, we'll stumble in our proclamation of the defense of the gospel and we'll be ineffective. That's why we need the girdle of truth. That's why we need the breastplate of righteousness so that you and I can prepare our feet for the task at hand, which is engaging in the battle with the gospel of peace. Now, it doesn't take a vast number to do God's work. Let's go back to the story of Gideon, and you learn that to be true. God doesn't need vast numbers to get his job done. It does, however, take men and women who are equipped and ready to do it, prepared to share the gospel with others. And having feet planted solidly on the truth of God's word is vital if we and I are going to win this hand-to-hand combat. You and I need to know what we believe. You and I need to be seeking to walk righteously day by day so that you and I might be effective in the the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If our lives do not match the gospel, nobody's going to listen to us. If you and I, when we're sharing the gospel, don't have answers for people because we don't know the Bible, then you and I will be ineffective for him. You and I have our feet shod with the preparation. The shoes that you and I wear are the preparation of the gospel of peace. You and I are to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks of us a reason of the hope that's within us. We're to be ready to give the gospel message at any time given time in the day or night whenever we're called upon to do so. There are three more pieces of armor to go, a shield, a helmet, and a sword. Today we've seen a belt, a breastplate, and shoes. You know, each part is vital for Satan intends the destruction of our souls. 
We're engaged in hand-to-hand combat, beloved. We seek to live for Christ. Therefore, it's vital we put on the whole armor of God. For we will not be able to stand against the walls of the devil successfully if we don't put on God's armor. And so, beloved, by God's help, let's ensure that we have each piece in place, that you and I have on the girdle of truth, that we know what we believe, that you and I have on the breastplate of righteousness, that you and I, by his power and strength, are seeking daily to live righteously, and that you and I have our feet ready to go at any given moment to share the gospel with all who we come encounter encounter in our daily, daily lives because we know the truth, we know the Savior, we know the gospel, and we're ready to go to preach his word. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning for this, your word. We thank you, Father God, for the challenge for the armor. Lord, there's probably so much more we could have said about each piece of armor. Lord, we pray that as we look at these three pieces that we've given a bit of an insight, Father God, into what it means to put on the armor of God. Help us, Father God, to put it on day by day, that we might indeed have our feet ready to go with the gospel of peace to a lost and dying world that your name might be glorified and honored. Commend your word to our hearts, we pray this morning. Bless now as we close with him in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Kendall's going to come.